Hello and welcome to If Not Now Then When, the podcast 2022. I'm Rachel Hymas, the founder, and I'm also your host today. And today I'm really excited to be sharing with you a special episode that I hope sets the tone for the year and the importance of uplifting others by sharing your own expertise and experiences. For this episode, I'll be speaking with the globally renowned industrial designer Oscar Pinar, who is currently co-principal at Studio Ilsa alongside his award-winning wife, interior designer Ilsa Crawford, and he's formerly the head of department at the Design Academy Eindhoven for over 23 years. Also, as a designer, you must be curious. Mm. And also, one other thing I can say is that I think we must learn our history also, take a look at the history, because otherwise we may tend to repeat it. Yeah. And if, if you're gonna, it's nothing wrong with necessarily you repeat it, but if you repeat it, you should understand why you're repeating it. Mm. Oscar has a huge respect for the human experience, and this episode covers the concept of mentoring and giving back to a younger generation. It also celebrates the idea of a non-linear career path, which I understand very well, and taking calculated risks. We discuss Oscar's incredible career to date and we have a few laughs along the way. So put the kettle on, get a biscuit out or maybe five and enjoy the first episode of 2022. Hello um, to Oscar Pina uh, from Studio Ilsa, um, who I have been a massive fan of for quite some time, and I'm really excited to talk about his career path, um, particularly his work with the Design Academy uh, Eindhoven and also Studio Ilsa. So, hello, Oscar. Hello. <laughs> Um, so for people who've not listened to this podcast before, um, how it's structured is based on the name um, of If Not Now Then When. Um, so I have five key questions that structure the conversation. And to be honest, it's quite casual and fluid and we're just going to talk through them. So um, the first question for you, Oscar, uh, starts with the word if. Um, and if you could summarise your career how would you describe it? And I'm aware that's quite a large scale question, but for me, what's really fascinating is actually your career as a whole and all the things that you've been involved in and actually how often the journey of a career can kind of take you from one place to another. So I'd love to know kind of from start to where you are now, really. Well, I'm originally from Colombia, from South America, and I studied industrial design in a university in Bogota. And then from there, I went to to the U.S. actually, just after I graduated oh. from the university. My father gave me as a graduation present uh, a very nice watch and a one-way ticket to Miami and like a hundred dollars. Oh, really? <laughs> so that kind of made me kind of, oh, you know, I, I was an exchange student earlier before the university in the U.S. in Minneapolis. And I, besides studying industries, I was quite always fascinated by the, also graphic design, but the two-dimensional world, I always thought about 3D plus 2D is 5D, and then <laughs> I knew that in, in Minneapolis there's very good school, Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and I went there, and uh, just by talking and being very curious, I managed to become a like a teaching assistant. Oh, really? And at the same time, <laughs> enroll myself in the visual communications course. Wow. I was a teaching assistant in the in industrial design because I already had a, a degree. Let's say it was very young. But then I was learning about you know, typography and graphic design and the grid and 
No, a lot of the design history, design methodology. So for me, that was quite nice. And at the same time, after the second year, I, I managed to, to, well, to do an internship in a company called NCR, National Cat Register. Mm. as an industrial designer. So I was kind of working like, for two days and three days, managing like three hours, and then going to the school and also being a teaching assistant. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then one of my teachers at the school, a very good uh, professor, Peter Seitz, started talking to me. He said, oh, you will, would you like to, you know, we have a design studio. Would you like to come and help us? Because we like to do, sometimes we do 3D you know, pro designing and we are a visual communication studio. We do sometimes products. I said, Ken, so actually, to make the story short, they offered me to get me a green card. Oh, wow. And then uh, and I kind of, I went to, I worked with them for a few years. And I was studying and working. And and then I one day I got a call. Or so, I saw in a magazine an, an ad from a, looking for designers. They were looking for kind of multicultural designers in the, from, in the Netherlands, from Philips Electronics. Mm -hmm. And kind of apply. And, uh, I, 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 they invited me to Holland and I came to interview and you know, they offered me a job. So it was quite exciting and then I, I decided, you know, yes, I'd like to, I'd like to come to Europe. Well. And then I, uh, and then in Europe, then I work in live, live in Holland for like nine years, you know, actually a little longer in one city, then I went to the north of Holland. I work in Philips in different areas from uh, consumer electronics, domestic appliances. My last job there was about lighting. Mm. So I had, a, I had a kind of great possibility to move into many different categories of products. Designer was part of a group that did a lot of concepts. Ah, yeah. I was going to say, because you became, were you the global creative director? For, for lighting. And the, my last 10 years, I was the global creative director for the lighting sector. Wow. Philips you know, Adapto, I had consumer electronics, domestic appliances, healthcare. Yeah, lighting. yeah. I was part of the lighting, which is kind of very, kind of, maybe it came from the May. The, the very material with the consumer to the more immaterial, which is light, you know. Mm. I was always very fascinated about uh, what, I, what I used to call the lightness of light. Yeah. And that was kind of my last, uh, my last uh, years with them. And there was a user organization, the company, and then I had the opportunity to kind of leave. <laughs> Do something different. Yeah. And... Also, at the same time, I was also in my mind, I was commuting between London and Holland, and I'm doing almost every week. I almost did it for nine years. Oh, wow, okay, so yeah. becoming also kind of like a little tired. And at the same time, on the other hand, no, for me, it was, it was a, such a great experience, because at the same time, being in Holland, was when I enrolled in the Design Academy, I became the head of the department. Well, my last department was called Man and Activity, but before it used to be called Man and Work, and all. Yeah. No, that was in 1996, so I was able to do for 23 years. I was head of the department, which yeah. was, for me was a, a really fascinating uh, opportunity. Always, the, always, you know, the idea of uh, being in touch with, with young people. Mm. You know, one thing that I really love, which I think that maybe, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of, but what I find fascinating there with your story, you know, obviously you grew up in Colombia and then you moved to the US and then you moved to Europe and... I have to ask, did you find that those were kind of opportunities that you just felt like you couldn't turn down? Or was it, are you quite, uh, because that's quite a big thing for a lot of people to just move across the globe, particularly as a young person who's taking a risk. Um, because the audience of If Not Now Then When, are, a lot of people are not necessarily sure what they're going to be doing in their careers and things. Do you think that 
the risks that you've taken have allowed you to have a really exciting journey as a career or did you find those actually quite scary at the time or did you just go for them or no, um, actually the reason I went to the US after I just graduated in our school in our university we had some German teachers exchanged professors that came to Colombia mm. from the German government to kind of to teach yeah they were experts and one of them had a very good friend that was used to teach in Colombia but then he moved to the US and then the man he came back to Colombia one time and our teacher invited him to kind of to come to to look at our work and I was in my last semester and I remember that he 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 was quite uh, you know I no, I asked him, oh, what do you think? What are the opportunities for me as a Colombian designer, young? And I'm, I'm yeah. going to finish in the next three months. I will finish to work in the U.S. And say, oh, no, impossible because you, you're from Colombia. You guys don't really have the right kind of. It was a little for me, you know, I don't know, mm. not very kind of a, I would say, not, not very supportive. Not kind oh, of really? Not, <laughs> not really kind of like, oh, yeah. So, and that, that became for me kind of sticking my head up. Oh, that's a kind of a challenge for me. I'm going to kind of mm. prove him. Yeah, that I don't think it's possible. You know, I, I always maybe like those challenges. I, yeah, you know, I always have learned that in life, you should you should you should, you should take what I call calculated risks, but mm. you must take them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not, uh, yeah. Not, yeah. You you need to take them, not just to say do not take it. Then. Did you kind of then? Because I was going to say actually, I read something once which I kind of took with me a little bit was that you should ask uh, three people, different people, uh, advice on a particular subject if you're not sure of what to do. And if each and every one of them tells you not to do it, you then do. then you should sort of take their advice. However, if each and every one of them comes back with something different, then you have to just go with your gut and take the risk because you just don't know whether or not... Um, and I kind of took that with me a little bit because I think that often you kind of... I've forgotten how you exactly say it, but it's basically the risks that you don't take are the ones that you're never going to yeah, know. Yeah, like um, you should take the risks. Yeah. Don't just think about it, but just kind of, kind of just do it. Yeah. And I think as well, um, what I'm quite interested in as well is like, for example, where you are now, obviously, um, being involved in Studio Ilsa and um, bringing all of the experience that you have um, as a teacher and also kind of um, all of the different types of products that you've been involved in as well. I think for me, what I find quite fascinating is, um, or at least this is how I think of it, is that lighting is quite an experiential type of design um, form, really, because it's it's very much about visual, it's about the way people think, it's how they feel. And um, because with Studio Ulcer, obviously, you design interior spaces, products, um, along with strategy um, as well. I, I'd be interested to know how you kind of brought that into... Yeah, you know, I am in, in the studio, you know, I've only been there since 2015, so only six years. Mm. And I'm more responsible for the, the product part, so the interior part, I'm not really... Yeah. Necessarily, that really get involved sometimes. Of course, we, we collaborate when some of the, the interior projects require some maybe some furniture, some products, so we, we support them. Uh, but maybe going back to lighting, you know, lighting is always very, it's been a very, it is very important because you know, lighting, you know, just one of the things allows us to see, <laughs> allows us to kind of feel, you know, to experience a thing. But uh, I think maybe most important is that. Uh, Maybe when I was in lighting, when I went to lighting, I didn't really have any experience. No, I, I came from my, my, I moved from the consumer electronics. I was doing a lot of consumer electronic projects mm. at that moment. And uh, so for me, I had the opportunity to lead the lighting team was something completely different. So for me, it was oh, <laughs> a calculated like, risk. <laughs> yeah, but I you know, uh, as a designer, I always thought that the, 
one of the great things is that we we as designers, especially in such a, such a large company, that we were able to work in different type of projects. We're not, uh, mm. not maybe not using one specific category, and you know, and trying to. And sometimes that's right. I believe that not been able, not had, not have done it before. It's also, I think, for me, that's also something new. That you know, when someone says, "Can you design something that you never done before?" Usually, you do fairly well because it just kind of comes from inside of you that there's the first response. Yeah. So having not kind of maybe I would call it. Sometimes when you have too much knowledge about something, it kind of st- stops you. Mm. Not having any knowledge, but understanding, you know, design is a process, there's methodology, things that you can apply to it. Mm. And then just apply it to a different type of a, a product category. It can also, you know, it, can make, it makes it richer, you know, I think so. I yeah. It, it can make the whole thing richer. The things that you uh, learn from the pros are more physical to the things that maybe the pros are kind of more immaterial, more lighter, more less invisible. Mm. You know what, that leads me on to the next question because um, not your finest hour, what challenges have you faced along the way? And I think that for me, the whole kind of concept of that, like taking a risk or testing something that you've never done before. And I I think I'd love to kind of know a little bit about maybe how you've taught students, because obviously you've been involved with um, Design Academy Eindhoven for 23 years. And um, I would love to know a bit about the actual um, projects that you were involved in. But I think that the sort of teaching, uh, there was a quote that I really liked that that you sort of mentioned to me when we were on the phone um, about that you don't teach design, um, that you learn by doing. And I would really love to know whether not actually the sort of failures and the things that go wrong perhaps they're actually things that teach you the most i I think no yeah i'm a great believer in that because i think by doing this much more intense is more experiential you know it's uh, Mm. you know you touch things you feel things and and that's really how you learn and you can evaluate them and you can move to the next one i always think one of the things i always used to be quite curious or kind of very demanding on the students is that i liked them to draw yeah, I'm a really keen uh, person in, in the, the idea of that people must draw because draw teaches you to become a, a great observer, and, and I believe anyone can benefit from being an observer. Mm. And uh, and based on that, also the idea that uh, learning by doing is, I think, how you can really experience things. Yeah, because you know, then you go into the materiality, then you start really getting into the materials. You can you know understand what materials are better for one thing or for another, or how they perform better or how they behave. Mm. So that kind of a really gets a yeah. So this kind of a kind of being engaged, being you know making uh, lots of models or drawings. Mm. Or no, or more, or more the sometimes for me I had students that they came to me when for the evaluation but they they came with a notebook and a lot of drawings and ideas or not even drawings sometimes just notes and notes and saying yeah you know and saying you know, I'm glad you do that but you need to translate them you know mm. they have to be translated because otherwise you start kind of almost like becoming a philosopher yeah that, that writes a lot of things but then you need to kind of hire a designer to translate them into something that is more physical so yeah so you have to be able to give that a step and for some people it's very difficult for some students it's really difficult i always found that a real struggle i actually had a, a incredible uh tutor at uni um called carlos who was actually chilean and uh he was fascinating in the way that he thought but he was teaching me in a similar way because he uh, always used to say to me, because I used to come with 
lots of writing because I tend to make lots of notes of my thoughts and I've always been kind of that way in terms of offloading I'll write everything down um, and to be honest he taught me hugely the importance of actually drawing because this is one thing that I found really fascinating when we spoke was actually about the um, the fact that drawing kind of means that you have the time to sit and observe and think and see and take in your surroundings and one of the things that actually we were talking about as well which I thought was fascinating really um, was the fact that phones these days are almost and technology is almost that detraction that takes you away from that sort of laser focus that you have where that's the creative buzz that kind of comes in um, and I love that that's the way that you taught students yeah and so it's you have to kind of engage and and I always you know in today we have amazing powerful tools in, in the computers and you know, programs that do 3D and, and 2D. But I still believe that, you know, whoever wants, my, also my designers, I still I'll tell them, I want to see for some sketches, some drawings, or what you're thinking. Mm. Kind of, it's kind of the, because drawing is also the kind of the connection between your mind and your hand. Yeah. That kind of, you know, and, and again, also drawing becomes later on, for me, drawing is like a muscle. Yeah. The more you draw, it you know, becomes better. It's like a, it's an exercise. The, the more you draw, it becomes better, and, and you can improve it. And and also the other thing that is important about drawing, especially today with the computer tools, is that drawing is very specific to each individual. If I ask, I used to ask the students, "Can you put all the drawings on the wall?" Mm. And because I knew them, I could identify who did which, which drawing was from which person. Oh, really? If I yeah. ask them to put the computer draw images from the from the that they have done, I put them on the wall, they all look pretty much the same. Okay, maybe some of them are better at resolution, some of them are better at controlling the light and all that. But it would be very difficult to see who did who did which one. So You know what I've never I've never actually thought of it like that. I've always I remember having um when I worked in an architectural practice, um I remember having this conversation about the fact that um, it was like a debate really in the office about the fact that you can't actually design using a computer. You have to design using your hand or talking or having those kind of conversations of the conceptual side. And then you have to kind of put it together using the computer programs that are amazing. But I find that actually really fascinating because I'd never thought about the fact that you're not putting across a personality no, to a certain extent. And you know, and I had difficulties. Some students also. When you get them assignment, the first thing is they jump into the computer, and I had sometimes, mm. even professionally, I had them in, in some workshops that I used to run with some of my the people that work for me. You know, I used to make sure that when we had ori originally an ideation phase, that we were all in the room drawing. Mm. But even some of them, as soon as I get, and we get the brief, some of them wanted to go out and go into my workstation and say, no, 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 I want you to draw. Yeah. First, and, and some of them didn't like that. They kind of complain about it. Why not? But I, I can do it faster. But it's not about doing it faster. It's about you know, taking your time and understanding and you know, see how you can put your thoughts in a piece of paper. And then when we have something a little more resolved, then okay, you can go to the computer. And the computer, you no, know, I'm a big fan of the computer. I came from the from the time when there was no computers. I did all our drawings, technical drawings. Everything was done by hand, and they did models. So when you see the whole progress that we did from making drawings, <laughs> and we can make models. Now we can make you no know, three, you no know, three D visuals, and now we can make three D printing. So it's a huge kind of a mm. kind of bandwidth that is really. 
it's funny though because um, one of the things that I was going to ask you actually about um, Design Academy Eindhoven, which kind of ties in really to what we were just saying, was that you. Um, so your uh, the bit that you were sort of leading was the was it Man of Activity. Man of Activity, yeah. Um, and then Ilsa um, was Man and Wellbeing. Well-being yeah. And I love that both of them, from my perspective anyway, as someone as an outsider looking in and reading about it, um, it's sort of designing for humanity and actually the way people think and. Um, I love actually that that what we've just been talking about is almost the journey of a concept kind of coming to life, and actually the processes that you use to do that was. I'd love you to tell me a bit more about the um, the project that you led. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in our department, we're much more about kind of product, mm. working with industry, manufacturing, small scales, large scale, digital things, analog things. Mm. But it was really uh, yeah, the kind of the things how things are made. A little, I, I, I like to pay. I, I put a lot of attention in assignments about making things and also bringing the students, taking the students. For me, one of my greatest, I would say, joys that I had during my career and working in a, in a big corporation was that I would had the opportunity to go in many places in the world, but especially go to many factories all over the world mm. and being in the factory and seeing how things are made and all the the challenges and all opportunities that also that talking to people that make things. I mean, that was, you know, that's, a, I would say, a really an invaluable thing that you cannot learn looking at YouTube uh, yeah. videos. Of course, you know, I'm not saying that you cannot learn it. You learn something, but I don't know, just being present there, to smelling almost the metal house, the stamp. Yeah. The plastic house, injecting all those things, you know, the glass I was molded. So those are things that, you know, that quite, uh, for me, were quite fascinating. So, and I was always trying to, that in our department, we were really as much as possible being con- connected to industry, mm. but without also forgetting we are in educate. We were we still there in education center, and an education center also should be about. Okay, for me it was also giving about the skills, giving them about a way of thinking, and you know, and uh, to understanding what especially what's happening in the world, the realities of the world, and mm. the constraints and the challenges, but especially you know, to, under, to, you know, to really understand that we designers also have a responsibility. Yeah. You know, and, and what, you know, what, what it is and how we can uh, contribute to it. And that is still the design is one of the, I'll say one of the greatest professions because it's, for me, it's, you know, the, Agreed. the, possibility, <laughs> the, the possibility that I had to work, I work in domestic appliances, designing kitchen, kettles, toasters, coffee makers. Yeah. Those I work doing televisions, fast machines, laptops, man machines, <laughs> telephones, all that variety of things. Then lighting, street lighting, office lighting, uh, hospital lighting, uh, retail lighting, all this kind of, you know. Mm. So to give you such kind of uh, broader bandwidth, it's, it's, it's a great... Uh, but I guess with each of those things, you have to think about the human For us, was always very important. One of the questions that I always asked my students was always very challenging for them. When they started the project, I always used to ask them, "No, who are you designing for?" Mm. And, you know, and, and some of them is, "Oh, for everyone. For everyone is that's not you know you cannot design for everyone." So yeah. you know, try to be a little more specific. Try to because by being more specific, because you understand also it makes your job easier as a designer. Mm. If it's for children, they try to understand how children see. You know, look at, you know, I always tell the students, for children, you all guys have to sit down in the floor. Yeah. <laughs> because how children see the world, you know, you are like six, seven year old, you are only like 80 centimeters high, and then you see the world like that. So imagine that, that's how you see the world. So you know what, I think things. that's um, fascinating as well, because with If Not Now Then When, when I started, 
I must say that I was sort of, you know, if someone said, oh, who's it for? And I used to say, oh, it's, you know, it's for everyone. <laughs> and to be, to be fair, I would love anyone to tune into the podcast or feel like they've learned or gained something. But I definitely feel like the longer I've been involved in kind of developing it, the more I've kind of understood who the audience is. And it's people kind of like myself, I guess. And people who are sort of in their career don't necessarily know what direction they're going to go in. And actually, I found that the more niche it's kind of become, the more connection it's had heavily with certain people. So I can imagine when you're actually designing a product or kind of teaching people how to design for a specific use, when you start actually considering exactly who's going to be using that and why, then you really Maybe have a, a proper understanding. That's a really fundamental question. Yeah. A lot of people forget about it. You know, know, who, who are you designing for? Mm. And uh, and the other one is, well, the one that I, I used to use in my department mm. was the, also imagine what if, yeah. you know, like, you know, what if we don't have uh, gasoline anymore? Mm. So no, no, what, what do you do? Yeah, or yeah. What do we do as a designer? So, but especially, you know, thinking about the, the user, the user is very important. There are many different types of users with different levels of skills, intelligence, habits and rituals mm. and really you have to have very clear that well at least have a good understanding so you can create your own framework you know what actually um sort of moving on to the next question kind of with that which because i find fascinating is that you obviously have been teaching the next generation essentially by being a teacher and that's something i'm quite excited to be more heavily involved in myself because i love the idea of working with people who actually think differently and uh, to how i'm thinking and then actually because you were actively working at the same time particularly on various different types of products and projects and things like that i would love um, to ask you this next question, which is um, now that you've got to this point, what's the most notable positive moment? And would you say, uh, not to put words into your mouth, but the fact that actually you had those two linear streams side by side, because I can imagine that one kind of influenced the other, mm, yeah. or whether there's a particular project that you kind of have in mind that maybe you worked no, for, on. For me, I think that was probably one of the greatest privileges I had. There was a bit possibility to, there was working in a, in a, in a in a, in a multinational company. Yeah. You no, know, that we had, a, you know, we had a, our design department was around 400 people. My area, we were one of the smallest design team, we were around 18, 20. But, you know, in Holland, but also we had many other places in the world, in Asia and also in the US. But for me, the privilege of being able to kind of, a, to do what I call, I, I remember I used, to have a, I used to have a lecture called Doing and Thinking. Mm. For me, the doing was kind of being part of this corporation, this working and this the professional life, mm -hmm. to being of being always uh, being challenged from the business side, from the marketing, from the technological point of view, and I'll call it the thinking. What yeah. the idea of the being in with the with the young people in the school, and for me that was a I would say like I say I repeat privilege to be able to kind of being engaged with these young people because they would kind of uh, you know I was also learning from them and also. Uh, being in, in touch with, with, with the young that they have very different questions they have different ways to see life and to see to engage and to mm. see the world so for me that's, that was really kind of a one of the quotes quite, by the way tough also. Um, that I was going to say that I really loved that you have said to me when we were on the phone was um, design is a serious play discipline and for me the kind of answer to the, this question is almost actually that you kind of got to be involved in this young playful 
um, environment of of people who are thinking in quite an open and free way because essentially they don't have the budget constraints or things like that which you have in the real yeah. world um, but then actually you've got the sort of serious oh. side through the companies that you're working with which are obviously international and you know there was part like I said in, in, the, in the academia even we I wanted to make students aware that you know they're in, in the real world there's a lot of cha- I call it challenges not restrictions there are challenges about how things are made how things must they cost how much can companies spend yeah. on making some things and how are they going to distribute, who's going to sell them, what happened they broke and the broke, you know, who collects them, and trying to be aware of those things, but at the same time also, the academia is also where you are free, you know. Yeah, so the, the <laughs> something I remember. For, for me, also was important, I always, I always use the example of the students, I want you to kind of, to bring when you are here, how can I elevate you a little more? Mm. How can, no, that, that would be my, I would be happy, that was my job, and, and today I'm pretty happy when I, I hear some of the, some of my students have become extremely well-known designers uh, around the world. Like today we have, uh, there's a lady called Samit Marcellis, uh, Martin Baz, uh, David Hackens. Yeah. For me, it's, it's really nice to hear that I I was part a little of, of that. I'm sure you influenced their career a lot so, more than maybe you're you know, allowed. We, we did the con, actually, they said that I graduated around 600 students in my whole life. Oh. More or less of the, you know yeah. what as well as as I mean this is why for me I'm quite excited about kind of being involved with young creatives because each and every one of those students and people and you know now professionals will remember their time when they studied and learnt from yourself and I'm not just saying it as well like 600 students to kind of you have been part of their career journey is actually incredible um, and I think that especially it, when we yeah especially when some of them you have to kind of create them. Even in Holland it's very interesting because in the undergraduate, in the first, only we give grades in the exam. Mm. In the other the other three and a half years, is only, which is, a, I think it's a very interesting system, it's called about is pass or no pass. Oh really? Okay, yeah. So when you come, no, each, in the semester we used to do three projects roughly. And you know, then you evaluate the projects and you say, look, I believe that you pass, or I believe that. And I, I was head, as head of the department, I, I gave lectures here and there and workshops, but I didn't really do the every day. I was, I was living in London, I was working mm. also. So I had teachers that I had like four or five teachers in, in my department that give the every week, you know, the four hours, yeah, the Mondays or Tuesday, the lessons. So I will be always, my, part of my job as a head of the department was be kind of the vision and direction of the department, but also participating in the, all the evaluations, trying to understand you know, what is the position of the department, the level, mm. the assignments, the type of assignments that should be done, mm. and should be given to the students. So I was really always, at the end I was really the one that had the last word to say, someone passes and not pass. And sometimes we had big, uh, yeah. big you know, I didn't realize it was so sad. Like that. Discussions with it. some of the teachers. Some teachers will say, two teachers will say, no, this guy passed. Or the one say, no, he hasn't passed. And then at the end, I will, it will come to me and just by looking at the work. And mm. and one of the things that I learned, and I could happily share, is that you know, usually you know, when we had evaluations, students have a table and they will put the, stu- the work, the, the most representative work on top of the table. And always we always recommend them that the other work under the table the whole that shows the whole process and all that mm. and one of the things that i learned and i could say it, it never failed my 23 years that i did that when i would walk into and sometimes we did the evaluations when the students were not in there 
at least we will, I will do a, a walk through the room get, with 40 students. I get it's, it's quite hard if they're standing to, there. Just to look at them, <laughs> and then they will come in later on, of course. But uh, when I did my first run through, if I would look at the tables and was under, and I keep believing 99%, the students that had the most things under the table were usually the best projects. No way. See, I was the student who always put everything out. So. <laughs> Because I could never no, but decide. Yeah, oh, of course, they had things on top, but I usually, if I look <laughs> under, yeah. the ones that, because they were, they were the ones that experimented the most, the mm. ones that had the more idea, the ones that played with the material more, the ones that did the same thing 20 times or 15 times until they arrived to the right thing. Mm. Some of the ones you will go and they see that three little things, cardboard pieces or wires bended, yeah. and you see on top the result was poor. You, you know what, actually, not to kind of... Um, put words into your mouth but again one of the quotes I feel like when I spoke to you on the phone I ended up making loads of notes because I feel like you you kind of reeled off so many things that I thought were really interesting sort of quotes I guess was that actually one of your favorite um, parts of your career was almost the journey as a mentor and I think this whole thing that you just said about actually the process of test test learn test and yeah. actually that you're learning as you as you, you go yeah you have to think. I don't believe that there's any other way Mm. At least, no, it's not, uh, yeah, it's kind of learn by doing and playing around. That's what I say. I, I like I, my, I could say my mantra really is that it's always been about playing seriously. Mm. And design is something, in some way that gives you that possibility that you know you play, but no, there's certain. I think allowing you. To it. Exactly, yeah. And I was going to say, I think allowing you the space to be creative and to think and to kind of put your phone on airplane mode and, 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 and especially that's part of the academia mm. that should allow you especially when you're in the academia you should be able to do that because later on I used to I'm sorry later on believe me you will have a lot of restrictions yeah and you will have to make decisions maybe much faster than what you wanted to do mm. so now is the time for you to play yeah I wish I had more time these days <laughs> <laughs> Um, next question for you as well um, is then what, which basically is kind of about the future and, and what I really love so far but with talking with you is that actually taking risks and actually the journey of your career is obviously really interesting and I would love to kind of know, um, I guess, what your focuses are for the future and whether or not uh, working with future generations um, and students is, is still going to be something that you're heavily involved in or um, one of the things that I love um, from Studio Ilsa in terms of the thought processes is actually the sort of strategy side, the human-centric side, and actually looking at um, basically design as a tool um, to enhance our humanity. And I love that as a quote and the fact that actually we can use design if we are careful um, as a way to almost, you know, hopefully make this world a better place. Um, I'd love to kind of know what your thoughts are on that and also what your future I, aspirations I think, are. I you know, how we can be engaged or be involved more, I think, in making things that are much more, being more responsible, but also at the same time very beautiful. Mm. And I think really, uh, sometimes I think about the, the topic that we discuss of, you know, to be a little, yeah, more, more responsible. But don't forget, I think, the beauty, the beauty, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I, I think um, for me, by the looks of what you've achieved so far and the things that you've been involved in, I think that uh, human experience is actually, or at least this is what I kind of took away from looking at your career and actually the types of things that you've done. It's, it's always very heavily connected to the human and the people and the person behind it, whether or not that be working with FERPs on the experiential, how people are going to experience this vast array of 
products and who are you designing for? And then equally with the young people that you're working with, actually, the influence on their career that you're having is huge. And I think that it seems like people is um, a fundamental driver for you within your career. Yeah, because they're also they're the ones that the, the true, they're going to be the ones hopefully using or, or playing with the products that we design. No? And mm. they, they will give you they will give you the, the real answer if someone really pay attention to it or not. So I think, do not, you know, not forgetting that, you know, that uh, whatever we put out there, we have, a, as designers, we have a level of responsibility. Mm. But at the same time, we, we should also appreciate that we, you know, that we have the opportunity to do those things. And, but also, you know, try to understand that also the world of let's say manufacturing or industrial production is also a very challenging world. Mm. Companies are, for them, it's also it's quite challenging sometimes to to understand and to see how the products they make you know are gonna hopefully help them also continue to exist. Yeah. So it's no for as a designer to to try to to understand also those economic things. And it's extremely, I think it's really important mm. how much things that cost, but how my, how, where are things sold, and how they're going to be sold, mm. how they're going to be collected or transported. So we can forget that designing just one little ingredient. Even I, I value and I, I, I love my design profession, but we also have to remember we are just one part of the, the little system. And we need to think a little something also in the whole kind of ecosystem. We are part of a system of things. And we must also think about that because uh, otherwise it will not work. Do you think that's why, um, just to kind of finalise on this question, do you think that's why you're so passionate about working with young people and tutoring them and being part of the Design Academy and obviously also the tutoring that you did before that because you're working with a generation that perhaps is thinking differently and actually um, I'd be interested to know no, kind me, of why. I'm, for me, you know, I'm not doing education anymore, but I was always when I was doing. I was trying to mm. tell them to make to be them to be aware of it. Mm. That sometimes it's not always as you know. Always you know. Sometimes I used to tell them, unfortunately, that a lot of industries they are not waiting for designers. Do not think that the industries are many come by just kind of waiting. Where are the designers coming? We're waiting. We can just wait for them. No, so, no. Some industries also mm. believe that you know the designers. Don't make any sense that they're just expensive. That you know they they don't really contribute anything. Mm. We have engineers that maybe can do it better. Although I do agree with the quote that's on the Studio Elsa website, which is uh, "Design can act as a catalyst for change," and I really do believe that that is. Yeah, you know, also sometimes I believe that, for example, the companies that do not hire designers mm. or, or not to hire designers is very expensive. Mm company will suffer you know, if a company doesn't hire a designer I think it will become actually very expensive mm. not because some because of some, some companies also have to believe that hiring the designer is very expensive actually I think it's the opposite yeah <laughs> dealing with the consequences one, if you don't hire one it's really expensive <laughs> because you will be a lot of things that maybe don't go as you think because maybe designers also by like I said designers are thinking and what if mm. what happens if you do this they're more curious and, and uh, so I think that also I think it's important. Then is trying to have a good balance. I think. Yeah, 
Oh, I feel like I'm really sad that it's the last question. Um, but my last question for you is um, when you look back, um, or even looking forward, really, to be honest, um, what is the best piece of advice that you've received or would give to somebody else? And I feel like I'm quite excited for this one because I feel like our phone conversation and conversations before this, I ended up with like a ream of notes of quotes. Um, so I'd love to know kind <laughs> of... Uh, uh, I've been very lucky to have many, many great... Uh, friends, advisors, mentors, mm. people that I look. But I think the word mentor is... Uh, mentor, you know, well, uh, I will say one of the advices, I will say maybe three things, if I, if I like all these three things. One is the idea that I learned something talking about the idea of plan is slow, act fast. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember trying to do that, it's not something not very easy. <laughs> Another one is the idea of, I think we should try to have a mentor or a hero. Mm. I think I would really advise and, and recommend people to have that. You know, one thing that I, uh, I it was I can't remember where I even saw it, but uh, someone said to me that their sort of um, the person that they were like looking like their hero basically was who they saw themselves as in ten years time, and almost like if you imagine it enough and kind of write down your affirmations and where you sort of see yourself going. Not that that's kind of what I have in my mind, but I kind of live by uh, the if not now then when mantra and actually take risks have a hero and I think that what you've said there and this is why I think it's hugely important the work that you've done um, particularly with all the universities and the young people because I know how important it is to have a mentor and I guess for me even with these podcasts I mean personally I've gained a huge amount by speaking with really uh, experienced um people within the industry and I feel like I've come away with so many life <laughs> mantras to live by. Famous, uh, and I think I, I also continue draw, I think draw, draw is good for you. Mm. You know what, actually I'm going home, uh, so I'm from Nottinghamshire originally and I'm going up north at uh, the weekend and I'm going to, I've already decided I'm going to collect my sketchbook and pen, like pencils because I haven't done any sketching well, for also, so long. Uh, now that you mentioned that, I also think I think it's good that you have a, yeah to have a sketchbook. I have, I, mean, I don't. I still keep. I have my. You know, when I was a Philip, we had all of these books. I have my whole kind of I don't know how you call it, my notebooks. Mm. And I still have today. I have all since 1996 until have today. Have you <laughs> I have all my sketchbooks, and I think that's really important. I, I will advise all the designers to have the sketchbooks to take notes, make your notes. No, but especially also because it's, it's good to draw. Because also, I would say draw is one of the the skills that really belongs to a designer. Mm. Of course, also artists also can draw. But and I'm always fascinated. But when you're in a meeting or something, at least when I was in meetings with some business people, and also I would start having a discussion about something, and you start drawing, they will say, "Oh, my God, this is yeah. <laughs> you know, this this is something that people find it very magic." And remember, not everyone can do it. So it's very it's a skill that designers can have. But it's extremely powerful. It, it is a little magic, and some people are better drawers than others. But you know, and then also, of course, it's great if you can really. Some people are great drawers and great visualizers. They can do amazing things. But sometimes, you know, it's not. It's not the most important. It's not necessarily the most important. But the more is that you try to be able to communicate your idea mm. and if they understand, and can later on comes another part of the process where you can refine it and maybe you can make the drawing better, you have more time or something. You know what I think is fascinating about drawing, or at least I think anyway, is that 
there's obviously so many languages across the world there's so many sort of different ways of thinking but somehow if you sketch something and I do and we don't speak the same language somehow it's a way of communicating yeah. that people can kind of understand and you know you if you're talking about a space and you say oh you know the doors over there something you know you're trying to explain it you can't articulate it in the same way unless you actually get a paper and pen and show the concepts, yeah. thoughts and ideas. In the business world, there's not, you know, a lot of the business people sometimes they cannot draw, so they find that very magic and very wow, it's a beans. And then say, they say, oh my god, you're an artist. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that to me. <laughs> Nobody knows. It's yeah. People, you know, how how. So yeah, I think probably those three things are quite uh, mm. important. The job, uh, plan slow and act fast. The idea of having a mentor, a hero, the idea of drawing, but also at the end, also as a designer, you must be curious. Mm. And also, one other thing I could say is that I think we, we must learn our history also, take a look at the history, because otherwise we may tend to repeat it. Yeah. And if, if you're gonna, it's nothing wrong necessarily you repeat it, but if you repeat it, at least you should understand why you're repeating it. Mm. But. Uh, I think that's hugely important, particularly when sort of teaching younger generations and things. And, um, and because, yeah, so many amazing things have been done that sometimes I find it very challenging as a designer to say, well, I, I like to be considered that I'm creative. Yeah. But some of the things that have been done are amazing in our history through the, you know, the four or five hundred years we look at things. Things are amazing. And they're pre-technology as well, which is amazing. amazing yeah. <laughs> I saw there's an example in the V&A. We went one time. There's a tea kettle, this beautiful kind of white tea kettle. <laughs> Look at the days. It looks like wow, some more 1600s. And looks like it's kind of like almost Bauhaus type. Of yeah. Thing. It was done 500 years ago. You know, today and you can, I know at that time they didn't have CAD, nothing. Someone made so so we have there's so many things. So in that sense, I always say that maybe today. Sometimes I say that maybe today really is not about inventing. I think for me in some way, I could say, maybe I'm wrong, but that I, for me almost everything is been invented already. Mm. I think one of our role as a designer for me is also kind of making new connections. Mm. I think for me that's more connecting, maybe something old with something new and trying to give something, a new meaning to it. So I, I believe, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but... I, no, I, no. That is about, our role is more about making a connection. And even today, even another role that designers can have is more about what I call facilitators. Especially, for example, when you go to, if I had the opportunity to go to, remember, to South America, when you go to craft people that do crafts and handcraft, handicrafts and crafts, I think it's not that you want to design there. I think for me, the, the, our role as a designer in that case is more to facilitate them, to tell them, look, we should take a look at this and all that, but let them do their thing. Mm. Because that's how, that's part of, how they do it, oh, not trying to kind of impose you where you know you should make a round, you should do that, and more totally. facilitate the process, and that's also a very important role. Mm, I think, um, like a teacher in some way. I was going to say that I think to kind of summarize the conversation, and I honestly feel like I could have spoken forever more, but I just think that actually what I'm going to take away from this, and I guess what I would teach the people who are kind of listening into this podcast, is that actually I think staying curious is hugely important. And actually not being, um, you know, if everything has already been created, there's no reason why you can't stay curious and um, keep learning. And actually the, the journey, as much as it sounds quite uh, cringy, is part of the, is the process. And actually often it's not really where you are now, but it's kind of where you're going that's the most exciting part. So I just want to say a massive thank you uh, mm -hmm. to Oscar for being part of the If Not Now Then When podcast. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks so much to the incredible Oscar Pinar. This conversation has certainly inspired me to focus more heavily on working with young creative people through the industry-sponsored events that I do, creative collaborations, university lecturing and podcasts, but it really makes me feel like there's much more that I can do to support particularly the generation that's unable to access the design industry in the way that I have been able to. Over the years, I've realised that supporting young creatives and recognising their values and aims is not only hugely rewarding, but it's also important for the future of our industry. I really want to teach people that it isn't a negative thing to take detours and find yourself on a completely different career path from the one that you'd originally planned for yourself. Choice and risk is a luxury that not everyone has the opportunity to utilise and your journey will be influenced by experiences gained and should be non-linear, fluid and as individual as you are and you really shouldn't be scared to be unique and to stand out and to be different. Feel free to visit the website at www.innTw.co.uk or the Instagram, if not now then, underscore when for more information about the things that I'm doing and the rest of 2022 for me. If you'd like to learn more about the incredible work at Studio Ilsa, visit their website, which is studioilsa.com, or you can follow their Instagram, which is studioilsa underscore, or finally, you can watch their episode of Netflix Abstract, the Art of Design series, where we're given a glimpse into the mind of the innovative thinking about the senses and human experiences. An absolutely huge thank you as well to the lovely team at Boss Design for allowing me to record this episode in one of their acoustic pods, which helped to provide perfect sound and not to mention the biscuits and the cups of tea, which were fabulous. Thanks again to Unicat Music for absolutely transforming this podcast with their track Cosmos. If you'd like to hear more from them, follow them on Instagram at unicat.music or Spotify Music. I really, really can't thank them enough. Keep an eye out for the episodes later on this year as I'll definitely be releasing more podcast episodes. And thanks again for listening. Thank you.